0: We'll go ahead and jump in tonight. As many of you know, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. Still, uh, the next couple times we preach, we'll we'll finish a few verses here tonight. We'll still go slow, but then we'll finish up the rest of Hebrews 11 um, next time we meet, which will be again several weeks from now. So we're talking um, about faith, Jesus being worthy of our faith. The Hebrew. Christians who would be receiving this letter, they were struggling, they were under persecution, they had stood up for their faith at times, and they were persecuted and crushed, and at one point they thought it was worth it. Now they're just starting to doubt, they're questioning, they're shrinking back a little bit, and the writer wants them to know, like, hey, Jesus is still worthy of the same faith, keep walking in faith. And so the author, after com- after, after telling the great beautiful truths of Jesus and what he has done, comparing him to... um or not comparing him to, but showing him to be this savior to the Jews and all these Old Testament references now has spent all of chapter 11 talking about examples of the faith. I think you and I look at Old Testament patriarchs and matriarchs, and we think, oh, that's awesome, they had faith, that's great, but that's them and we are us and we're not anything like that. Uh, they were given not to separate us from the Bible and those who were uh, heroes of the faith, but to show us examples to walk in. And so tonight, you'll notice we're going to be talking about faith in a specific context. As we see Moses and Joshua and Rahab, the specific context of faith is in overcoming our enemies, okay? So as they get out of Genesis, go into the book of Exodus. We start to see the Israelites moving out into the promised land. And the three folks we're going to talk about tonight are showing us what it looks like to overcome our enemies. You see, faith only records victories. It only records victories. The unbelief of the Israelites led to a whole bunch of issues, a whole bunch of mistakes and sin and and consequences. And the author knows all that, just like you and I, when we read the Old Testament, we're like, man, the Israelites were goofy. They were complaining. They had all kinds of issues. We're not talking about that. Even in these same stories we're talking about tonight, there's a million things they did wrong. But the author says, I just want to talk about their faith and the victories that come. We have a hard time, I think, understanding as christians like should we have enemies like who who are our enemies what does that look like for christians and and you think it might be obvious yeah we shouldn't have enemies right you'd think that would be obvious but if you look at 30,000 foot view of all of scripture it gets a little complicated i mean look back in the old testament Some of you, you know, if you read through psalms, there's different literary genres in the psalms, and one of them is what we call imprecatory psalms. Now, you might not know what I'm talking about when I say imprecatory, but if you're reading them, you know something's a little bit weird. Like King David, he might be holed up somewhere, and he's writing the psalm, and it's a prayer to God, and it's like, man, you know, deliver me. And then he gets into crazy stuff like crush my enemies, destroy them. Like all this, like, it sounds hateful. And you read that in the psalms, you're like, This shouldn't be in the Bible. This is weird. Like David's, he's calling for God to crush his enemies. And we're like, how do we reconcile that with something like New Testament? Now, Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, the Sermon of the Mount. You see Jesus say, you've heard it said to hate your enemies, but I say love them and pray for those who persecute you. So does the Bible contradict itself? This is a perfect example of progressive revelation as God has shown us. There were enemies of uh, the Israelite people. There were enemies on earth. But as we find ourselves now in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we see that the enemy we have is of a spiritual kind. In Ephesians 6, we talk about the armor of God. So we don't have enemies in the sense that like that coworker who is mean to you and they don't uh, follow Jesus like you follow him, or they might even mock you or whatever. Like there's, there's, enemies of god in which ephesians 2 says we were all a part of that prior to placing our faith in christ but for christians the only real enemies we're going to have is spiritual so the devil and demonic forces and we know as christians that we proclaim what jesus did on the cross when he crushed the head of the serpent we know that we don't have to fear the enemy But the enemy is still the enemy, and as long as sin is on earth until the end times come, Jesus says, hey, we're going to end this thing, it's done. We proclaim the victory of the cross, not because we need another victory now, like the victory has been won, but the devil's still going to be lying and tricking and deceiving people into not living in the reality of what happened 2,000 years ago with that death and resurrection. So that's our war. That's the battle that rages. That's the enemy is taking people who know the truth and saying, maybe it's not that great. Maybe it's not really true. So the devil, just like the Lord, the devil has a plan for you to keep you stagnant, to keep you quiet, to make you uh, hate the faith as if it's just religion, but not a relationship. Like the devil is gonna want you to be quiet. He's gonna want you to not share this gospel. He doesn't want God's will fulfilled in your life. And, And so that's what he is bent on doing. So tonight, we want to see that Jesus is worthy of our faith, that what he did 2,000 years ago is all that we need, that the war has been won, and even though the enemy's trying to trick us into saying it hadn't, we can remind him that it has. So we're going to see how these folks in the Exodus and what they did in leaving Egypt resembles our lives as we leave our old life and we come into this new life that we have in Christ. So we're going to be in Chapter 11, again, uh, and verse 28 through 31. We will cover four verses tonight. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 28 says, And by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Okay, first thing we see is that faith brings us out faith brings us out so here, here's the context of what's happening for the israelites many of you you know the passover you've heard of the passover this wasn't just something god said do because i want you to have a celebration this was something that came and it was birthed out of events in history that changed everything as they were in egypt for 400 years as slaves the israelite people man god is going to set them free and so he's had all these plagues remember one, two, three, four, five. there's frogs there's all kinds of stuff going on with these plagues and number 10 god says all right here it is, the big humdinger. I'm going to have something crazy happen in the land. I'm going to kill the firstborn. I'm going to kill them, every family. And Israelites, that goes for you too if you don't do something about it. And so this is, this is as bad as it gets. He had hardened the heart of the Pharaoh for a long time, and he knows like this is, this is what I'm going to do to get Egypt to say, Israel, get out of here, just go, we let you go. This is how God's going to deliver them. So he has, he has the Israelite people. He tells Moses, hey, I want, you to, I want you to slaughter a lamb. It's going to be like a year old, and it's for each family. And if you don't have many people in your family, then, then get your neighbors around. And when they have so many people, then you're going, to, you're going to slaughter this lamb, and you're going to eat this lamb. You're going to cook it in a specific way, but you're going to eat it with all your clothes on, even though it's late at night, because you're going to get ready to go, and you're going to have unleavened bread and all this kind of stuff. And oh, by the way, I want you to take some of the blood from that lamb, and I want you to put it on your doorpost. When I come by later on tonight... When I, when I come by, I'm going to have every house lose their firstborn that doesn't have this blood on the doorstep. So like, you got to know that Moses is thinking, this is crazy. Like, this is weird. There's one theme throughout most Old Testament stories. It's that a lot of this stuff is weird. Like, you talk about it when you're with Christians, but you think, man, what if I told this story to like, people who never heard of this stuff? Like, This is just weird. And so the enemy for the Israelites is Egypt, but it's also God's judgment on everyone in this case. So the enemy is Egypt, but the punishment is coming from God. So there's faith that coming from Moses and the Israelites in two different ways. All right. So the first is that this is just flat out weird, which we'll talk a little bit more about. And, And so you gotta like this, it sounds like, okay, yeah, it's weird, but like, no, you gotta tell people, hey, this is what we're gonna do, guys. I know you ain't got much going on tonight. We're going to slaughter a lamb. We're going to rub his blood all over. And like we're, we're just, this is going to happen everywhere. See, we, we're looking at it and we see the whole story. They don't, they don't know how this is going to play out. So that's weird by itself. The second act of faith in this is that they've got to trust that the blood's going to cover them. Okay, God, you said you were going to do this, but how do we really know we're not going to die. Because they've seen these plagues happen. They've seen people die. They've seen lots of bad stuff. They've got to trust in the blood. So it's two two things. Let's stop back with the, the goofy thing again. <laughs> we'll, we'll hit both of these, but let's talk about that goofy thing. I don't know how you guys feel when you stumble across in Scripture just these weird things. God asked people to do weird things. I remember when we had uh, planted in Utah, and there were so many different understandings of Christ in Utah and I remember feeling to some degree well to to some degree very awkward but almost maybe even a little embarrassed when we would sing one song in particular nothing but the blood Jason had recorded a video for that and so we were worshiping which I remember thinking to myself one day like I get it I'm not ashamed of Christ but this is this is weird to sing like nothing but the blood. And if you remember that old YouTube video that Waller did, like when it, when it says blood, like the, the words turn red instead of white. And it's like, it's just creepy. And it's like, oh my gosh. For non believers, we're, we're trying to reach this city. These people don't follow Jesus. And they come in here thinking, nope, it's not Mormon. So it's a cult. Like it's opposite of how we think. And we're talking about all this blood covering us. It feels weird. I don't know about you. You see, in in our culture, there's always going to be some aspect, many aspects of our faith that are going to stand out, that are going to be weird, right? Because we're never going to be exactly in line with the culture. And we got to be careful as Christians to not shy away and say, you know what? And what's happening in 2015 and Bible? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed to talk about some of this stuff because it's weird and the culture won't understand. The culture is weird. I'm talking about just church. I'm talking about the culture is weird. Like they can one-up us any day of the week in the weirdness category, right? So it's not about whether you want to be weird or not. It's whether you're trusting in the right stuff. Because you can be weird and go to hell. You can be weird and find life. I think for a lot of us, we're unsettled inside because we're just like, I want to buy fully in, but there's some odd stuff like blood and covering. Eh, Man. Listen, God will always he will always test you in asking you to walk in faith in some ways that are kind of weird from time to time. Because if it was easy, if it was just like, hey, you know what? I'm going to ask you to do something amazing today. I want you to get up, and I, wanna walk, I want you to walk 10 feet over there. And, and when you open up that refrigerator door, there's going to be food in it. It's going to be a big act of faith today. Now, for some people, that might be an act of faith. For 99% of us, that didn't do nothing for us. Like, that didn't. Okay. So he's going to ask you to do some weird stuff once in a while to make you really decide, am I wanting to follow him or not? And so it makes sense that uh, as the Israelites get ready to get delivered, that their old life and how they do things, it doesn't resemble the new life. And this new life is one that is covered by the blood. Uh, What about you guys? I mean, do you press forth? The more you dig into scripture, the more you dig into your faith, is there's things you don't understand? Is there's things that that seem odd, that clash culturally? Like, do you press forth in that? Or do you find that hindering you? Because the whole enemy, man, he wants you to make it think that, like, somehow this is much more weird than what we would be doing outside of here. It's not. Sometimes I find myself doing odd things. Over the years, uh, I can tell you countless times. I've been in my office, and I'm talking, I'm praying to God, or maybe in my house, wherever it might be, and and I just, man, I have a burden on my heart for something, and God tells me, get down on your knees. I want face down. It's like, really? Am I, am I sure this is God? Because no one's around, but he's telling me to like really submit myself physically to him. Like, is this really God? Maybe I'm not hearing from God. This is weird. No one's here. No one's... There times I've been driving on the road, not a lot, but praying. You can pray all day long when you're driving. But Once in a while, I say, pull over, spend some time praying about this. There's times when, when, when you're asking God, like, God, I want to be missional. I'm, I'm on fire. I want, I want to reach out to folks. You'll be in Walmart, and you'll see something happen. Maybe you see someone crying, or, or you see a disturbance, or you just see someone over there, and God says, go talk to them. But I don't know them. I don't have a clue who they are. And there's no way on earth this is going to come across normal. He's like, I want you to do this. What do you choose? Comfort? I'll tell you what, some of the most amazing God stories out there come in the weirdest of situations. Sometimes he makes it weird because when he pulls it out and pulls it back together, like he gets glory because he sees people willing to sacrifice everything. The Hebrews, just like us, needed to be reminded. You can trust the blood. You can trust the blood, different kind of blood. But the blood of Jesus is much more better than the blood of a lamb. And as believers, we walk by faith, trusting that the blood covers us, and that is how we are delivered. You get a little bit weird tonight, but you get deliverance in the morning. Moses knew that, and his faith stood out. Next verse, 11 verse 29. It says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. So the second thing we see is that faith takes us through. So faith brings us out, but now faith takes us through. Remember, the Exodus, we're lining it up with how we as believers go from an old life to a new life as they left one life and went into the promised land. So faith takes you out, brings you out, and it brings you through. Now, the enemy is still Egypt in this case, but it's also the Israelites' habitual sin. They're starting to walk through the process. So now it's not just altar call. Hey, y'all want to come to the blood of the Lamb kind of stuff. Now it's like, hey, we're on the road. Like, we got to be walking by faith now. It's one thing when we we're all excited last night. Now it's, it's daytime, and the Israelites are going to be coming after us soon. One common thread that you see throughout the ten plagues and the Exodus is that this stuff didn't happen like super quickly. Like it took some longevity for the Israelites. They had to have faith that lasted. Like we all want things to happen immediately, right? And for these guys, God's like, okay, plague number one, plague number two, what were the Israelites thinking? Forget the Egyptians, what were they thinking after like plague number six or seven? Like, okay, this is weird, when is this going to end? And then now we're in the desert, and then there's 40 years, and before that, though, there's this Red Sea thing. Like, there's, there's all kinds of stuff, and it's taken a long, long, long time. And from the moment you and I accept Jesus as Lord and Savior to the day we see him face to face, man, it could be seconds or it can be a long, long time. And so this is where we find ourselves in in between. Just learning to walk this out by faith. There's roadblocks all over the place. I don't know about you, but with um, just being a parent with Silas, Tara and I, Tara's much better at this than I am, but it seems like, you're always having to decide constantly, constantly how to parent, how to teach, how to train. And you go left sometimes, you go right sometimes, but you, you feel like there's usually a good way to do this. You just don't know of it yet. And once in a while, though, it feels a little bit hopeless. Like you're like, you know, I've analyzed every option. I've prayed about, it. I don't know what to do right now. And for a two-year-old, like, he would think we would pretty much have it under control, but he, 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 he's an interesting little fella. Last night, he he was talking. He loves right now to rhyme. He's always rhyming. Like, I mean, just like cracker, jacker, backer. Like he just constantly, whatever the word is, he just rhyming. He just walks around the house and he rhymes. So like he, he loves to rhyme. And one thing we've noticed is we, we, we hopefully you know, but we don't do a bunch of cussing around the house. So he should know certain words, but when he rhymes, he just happens to stumble across a variety of words that would not otherwise be used in our household. And some of them are like really nasty. Like they're nasty, nasty, and they're really nasty. And it's hard because uh, like even last night, it was like it was going crazy. I don't know what was going on last night, but he starts rhyming, and he he started rhyming everything with with F. And we're sitting in our living room, and just on a regular basis, he's dropping F-bombs, in all of its various forms. And Tara and I are looking at each other like, okay, he doesn't have a clue what he's saying, but what do you do? And we talked about it and we're like, okay, so we could tell him, hey, don't say that. Now, at this stage, like his whole world is about like getting ammunition against mom and dad. So uh, he, he knows the power of no right now. So everything's like, hey, Silas, you want to do this? No. And then he went, like then he changed for a couple weeks. We're like, Cyrus, you want to do this? He's like, no. And now he's like, nope. So like he's always changing no. like There's so much power in nope. He says it in a million different ways. So if we tell him, don't say this word, guess what he's going to do? He's going to say it nonstop. And he said, well, we've got to correct him somehow. Let him know that like this isn't acceptable. This is not socially acceptable. But right now, he don't understand. So at some point, we've got to advise him. But we can't really do it right now. So what do you do? Rebuke him, make it worse. You advise him he don't understand. You kind of maybe just get used to him dropping F-bombs and let your company know, hey, randomly my two-year-old's going to cuss you out. I hope you're okay with that. Please don't argue with him. He's right. Just do it. Just let him do his thing. Like, what do you do? There's roadblocks all over the place. And this is one of many issues. I think, spiritually speaking, uh, if you're anything like me, you have come across as God is sanctifying you, as he's, as he's ridding uh, your body of sin. And there's areas of habitual sin for each one of us that i got to believe some of us just feel hopeless in. It's like, okay, I know God saved me, and I've seen him clean up a whole bunch of stuff. But like there's a couple things that just keep on happening. I don't want to do them, and I'm frustrated, and I have highs and lows, and I just, but I cannot overcome this. You hear a good sermon once in a while, you're like, I can overcome it. Yes, yeah. And then boom, you're back into it. Maybe a few months go by and you're like, I was good, then now I'm back into it. And like just generationally, you know there's always gonna be certain things that some of us deal with. Like you know, whether I'm a pastor now in 2015 or in 30 years from now, I know when I talk to young men, good chance I'm going to be talking to them about impure thoughts. If I talk to young ladies, good chance they're going to struggle to some degree with patience issues. I want it now. I want this now. I want to know. I want to... Of course, these are not all specific to each gender or age, but we know that certain folks... We know that men who who have families and they have a lot around them and they they grow up and they they have money. Like, you know, pride can be an issue. You know, ladies, as they have kids and then they grow and the families get big, now they have more than ever to worry about. You know, worry could be an issue. So, like, we just know this stuff. And some of us, we just don't feel like we're gaining any ground. It's easy to feel that way. But I love it because here's the thing. When the Egyptians told Israel, get on out of here, we're sick and tired of you. They even let them get plundered. They said, take our gold, take ourselves, get out of here. Like They could have just left, and Egyptians, they stayed there, but it says that God went and he made the Egyptians, he made Pharaoh, he made them change their mind. He hardened their hearts again to where they were regretting letting the Israelites go. And so you got to wonder, this whole Red Sea thing, why did it even happen? Why did the Egyptians follow after them? It's because God was drawing them to come chase the Israelites back down knowing the whole time he was going to let the Israelites see the final defeat. So you guys saw the deliverance, but there's little victories all along the way, and I want to draw them out. I want you to see them crushed by this water. I want you to see that it's not just the beginning of the journey when you (laughs) you have victory, but I want you to see as you're midway through this thing, the same power that brought you out sustains you. I think that happens all the time we wonder god why would you even let me deal with the same sin over and over and the same temptations over and over and over and he's saying i want to show you that the cross wasn't just for kindergarten when you raised your hand at kids camp but that that power lives today i want you to see it as much today as the day you first got saved I mean, you got to think as they come up to the Red Sea and this thing, uh, these waters part, you you think, well, yeah, it'd be easy to walk right through. Listen, waters part. This is a big, large body of water. I got to imagine there's, uh, it says there was at least 600,000 men and then you got women, children, so probably over a million people. They got all this cattle. They got all the stuff they plundered. The livestock is probably kind of muddy and they don't know if the water's going to come back down. Like, I doubt it was just super easy. Like, they were still thinking to themselves, this is crazy. Like they're probably rushing through, I doubt they were taking pictures on Snapchat and showing the Egyptians, like, you gotta see this. I've never seen the inside of this water. This is amazing. Like, it probably wouldn't happen, and it was still difficult. I gotta think. Man, it takes consistent and constant faith. And faith is always, always the antidote to the enemy. At least faith in the right things. You know what? I don't know if you're like me. With your sin, uh, I struggled to find the power in the midst of temptation. Okay, so like 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, but God's faithful. He'll give you a way out. It's like, oh, that's awesome, right? Many of us take that verse and we think, oh, God will never give us more than we can handle, and that's not true. He always does because he wants you to depend on him, not yourself. But he does say you won't be tempted beyond what you can bear. And the temptation in and of itself isn't the sin, it's the response and falling into the temptation. So <laughs> I still struggle, though, when I'm in the middle of something and I know I'm about to act wrong, I'm about to choose the wrong thing, and I'm thinking to myself, God, where is your power? Where is the way out? Young men, you know what it's like when it's 11 o'clock on a Friday night and the internet is there and the computer is there and there's no one around and you're thinking, what's my way out now? Ladies, you know what it's like when you're sitting at work and the same coworker wants to gossip and you're like, I prayed about this, I don't want to gossip, I don't want to go through this again, but there it is. And you're about to jump in and you're even listening to her speak and you're like, I normally respond with more gossip, but I, I don't want to, but where's the way out? Everyone just left the break room. Now it's like the conversation's going to continue even longer. Where's the way out? How do I stop this? Man, I love it. One of my favorite verses now used to be, Still is, but it has different context. Exodus 14, 14, I'm just going to briefly say this, but this is the middle of the Red Sea, the parting uh, of the Red Sea deal. So this is the same story back in Exodus that we're talking about in this verse. And it says, in the midst of this, okay, sea is going to part soon. It says, Exodus 14, 14, the Lord, this is God talking to Moses, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. The Lord will fight for you, but you have only to be silent. I hung on that for years in the midst of temptation. And I thought, yeah, like I just got to sit still. like I got to gotta be silent. I got, God's going to do the fighting, right? And that's true, but the problem is I stopped reading. I stopped reading. Because the very next verse, God says in verse 15, he says, The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Tell them to go forward. You see, so many of us in the midst of temptation, in the midst of trying to live out our faith, we struggle because we're like, God, where is the power? Where is the rescue? It's true. He saved you. He rescued you. And some of us, we get our eyes so much focused on a rescue that's already happened, but we need it to happen in this moment that we forget the power comes in taking the steps of faith. I tell you what, there is a huge difference in the life. They should have told me this when I first came Christian, but I didn't get it until I started to experience it. The difference between the hopelessness you sit or you feel when you're sitting there expecting this rescue, knowing you've already been rescued, it's about walking in the rescue now. The hopelessness between that and the empowerment of what happens when you start to walk on out of that temptation. I didn't know what it would be like, but until you get in the midst of it and you start to experience it, you're like, man, where was the power? The power is in the faith and taking the steps of faith. And that's where God says, all right, I don't want people who are going to just sit on the pews and say, I need you. Where are you? Why aren't you helping me? Now, God is still a gracious God and he'll respond to you like he ain't going to leave you. But the power comes when he sees a group of people saying, all right. Start walking out, trusting there's a way, even if I don't see the way right now. And boom, I'm telling you what, your spirit is rejuvenated. Your hope all of a sudden comes back, and you're thinking, wow, I didn't know it was 11 o'clock at night, and instead of just sitting here saying, well, I'm going to struggle with my thoughts, i do something stupid. Maybe I need to jump in the car and start driving somewhere. All of a sudden, I start feeling a little more power. I start feeling power when I'm sitting at work, and they're gossiping, I don't know what to do, and I finally say, you know what, let's, let's talk about something else. Until those words came out of my mouth, I didn't feel any power. Now I feel empowered like crazy. The Israelites had to walk to the water to see the water part. The faith wasn't, we're back in Egypt. Hey, we're going to need the waters to part pretty soon. If we could put in a request order. No, God's saying, I'm going to do it when you come up to it. But you got to come up to it. man. I feel like I'm preaching now. Look at this. It's all rhyming. This is good. I'm preaching myself. And you and I knowing that Jesus has already won the war. Every battle you fight today, he won the war on the cross. When we walk in that truth and we choose it over ourselves, we choose it over the... Walking in that faith proclaims over and over and over the victory. Just like the Lord's Supper. What does it say about the Lord's Supper? It says we are proclaiming the resurrection until the Lord's return. We're proclaiming it. Verse 30. Now we move into Joshua. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. All right, next thing we see is faith takes us in. So faith brings us out, saves us from an old life. Faith helps us to go through, it's going to help you to walk in this. Now faith, it takes you in so you, you can live this new life. So here's the deal. God has switched leaders now. Now we're talking about Joshua. All kinds of awesome miracles happened with Moses, but Moses didn't go into the promised land. So he switches leaders and they know that Jericho, by earthly standards, is not going to be conquered. Okay? You've got the Red Sea on one side, you've got mountains on the other. Like it just was not an easy place to get around. And God's saying, I want you to walk all around this thing. So now Joshua and the Israelites need miracles like Moses and the Israelites. Tell you what, I'm going I'm to take just a, I'm going to park on this for a second because I think it needs to be said. Uh, So often in the church, we think that if God switches leaders for whatever reason, somebody dies, somebody moves away, we're dealing with transition, obviously, here. We're walking through it. That the assumption is that if that person had gifts and talents and was edifying the church, building up the church, that whatever God does in replace of that just ain't going to be as good. And at best, what we can hope for is to keep the status quo. Well, I just hope the new guy's as good as the old guy. I just hope a whole bunch of people don't leave the church. Well, I just hope, that, and and I just hear that. Now, Crosspoint, by the grace of God, is able to deal with change um, well because it's just built into the culture. And so I'm thankful to be a part of this. It's been been awesome to see how people handle uh, a loved one moving on. But, It is a little bit hard to take when the expectation is status quo. You see, when we look for a new worship leader, and we're not looking for someone to lead worship for 275 or 300 people. I'm not, because I don't plan on being 275 or 300 very long. I'm looking for someone for 450, 500, 6, 700 because there's no expectation in my mind that we're going to stop growing. Matter of fact, we haven't stopped growing after the last few weeks, and we keep on growing. Like, I just got to tell you, I can't live any other way than that. That God's power, that his purpose, that it's going to slow down or stop regardless of anything that happens here in, in our midst. I'll be honest, man. I, I when we had the different church plants and I prayed for vision and I felt like God had given us vision we were casting vision we were seeing it come to fruition, like beautiful things were happening. I'll tell you what, even though taking on this position a year ago required a lot more responsibility, getting to know a lot of people. I mean, just you would think just on paper that man, I would be overwhelmed. For the first six months I was here, I've never been more bored in ministry. It wasn't that I wasn't bought into Crosspoint's vision. I want to see 10% of the city saved. That means we trust the other churches to take the 90%. But it just wasn't, it wasn't quite the same as when God places it on your heart and you're casting it. And I came and, and you walk through a transition for a larger church and it's kind of keeping the status quo. Like, hey, don't ruffle too many feathers. Just, let's just keep things moving in the right direction. Now, I didn't have anyone tell me that, but that's what you just kind of assume. But I'll tell you what, lately, these last few months, man, I haven't been on fire like this in a long time. And I love, man, I love, I love, uh, I love Jason and I I love working with him. But when I heard, um, when I heard that they were moving on, like part of me was not excited that they were moving on by any means, but knowing the challenge and the backs against the wall, and the expectations for doubters. Like I knew, man, this is an opportunity for God to get glory in a way. Because it's easy. If you say, well, you know what, we got amazing preaching, we got amazing this, we got amazing that, the world can easily say, well, that's why a church would grow. And so like what happens when things keep happening supernaturally when those with lots of talent aren't, aren't there anymore? And I, I, we still have tons of talent, but still. And I just saw that as an opportunity. I thought, man, this is going to be good. This is going to be so good. And so, on one hand, it's like, well, we got to walk through this transition, but I know God has designed me that, like, God's word is still going to be God's word. The gospel is still the gospel. There's still a harvest field that is huge, and people are going to get saved. And, like, man, we're looking at other buildings. We're looking at how can we, how can we house 1,000 or 1,500. If we're going to get to 5,000 people, if that's the vision, at least right now, man, we, let's, let's work towards that. So on one hand, I'm saying, hey, let's let's do make sure that we have a healthy transition. On the other hand, I'm not preparing to just hang out and sit where we are. We're talking about things that are gonna take huge leaps of faith. Require people to have tons of faith. Like I look at it on paper, the numbers, I'm like, nope, (laughs) it ain't gonna happen. It ain't even close. It ain't even close. But I get pumped because I'm like, this is what it's all about. Because when people have to make big steps of faith, God is glorified and shown in amazing ways as we point to him. That pumps me up. Joshua got to be thinking, yeah, I'm not Moses. But I'm the one leading them in the promised land. God chose me for a reason. And this Jericho thing seems silly. But we're going to walk around for six days. We're going to blow our trumpets. We're going to do our thing. And we're going to trust. Just because God said Jericho is yours, we're going to trust that the walls are going to fall in. You got to trust that. Notice how this says that the walls fell down by faith. Again, it wasn't naturally just going to happen. It wasn't like, hey, hey I just want to let you guys know that the walls are going to fall in on seven days. You might want to make sure you're around so you can plunder the city. Like, no, it's when you walk by faith. That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. It's crazy to me how many of us, including myself, find the hope of the gospel and at the beginning of our walk with Christ see a freedom that is beautiful, that's attractive. And for a short while, oftentimes, we, we don't feel the same guilt and shame that we did as a non-believer. Like we knew we were doing what we shouldn't be doing, but now like, well, we find freedom in Christ, because we're reminded of the cross and we're reminded of the gospel over and over. But something happens in so many of our minds. We start playing mind games with each other. It just it becomes a cultural thing in that we all start to view. what good looks like in the faith. And as we all fall short of it, some of us start to feel more miserable as believers than we ever did as non-believers. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Jericho is a reminder that the walls will fall in, the chains will fall off, and that the God who saves us is the God who sustains us. And that if he's going to call you out of an old life into a new life, he's going to empower you to walk in this new life. He didn't bring you out here so that you can see the promised land but not walk in it. He's going to walk you around those chains until they fall off. The enemy loves to take a people who know a hope and make it feel like no hope at all. But he ain't the one who tells us how it works. Because we got the word. Last but not least. Verse 31. Now we got an interesting character jumping in the fold. Rahab. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Last thing we see is that she is saved by grace through faith. So, in Jericho, as they sent spies, many of you know the context, some might not, but a refresher. So, they go and send a couple people, Joshua does. He goes into the city, and one of the houses attached to the city wall is Rahab. She's a prostitute. She has a bad reputation, even in Jericho. She's got a bad reputation. But she says, I'm going to house these guys. I'm going to risk my life for them. Because we have all heard about the power of the God of the Israelites. He tells the spies, she tells the spies, our hearts will melt. (laughs) Like we are scared to death of your God. Just promise me, like I'm going to house you. They're going to come talk to me. They did. I'm going to tell them, hey, I don't know nothing about it. You guys are going to be on the roof. Like I'm going to risk my life for you. Just save me and my family. As a gal, on one hand, she has nothing to lose with her reputation. On the other hand, she has her life to lose and her family's. I'll tell you what, I can't tell you how many times people in the midst of habitual sin feel like, what's the point? Like, what's the point of repentance? I've tried this for so long. What's the point in turning back? Now, what's the point in this? Rahab knows her sin internally, but her sin is also exposed to the community. They know her reputation. They know she's a prostitute. They know she's not living right. But man, the way God uses her, Rahab tells every single one of us who have asked ourselves, what's the point? What's the point? She gives no excuses to those who say, man, I'm too far from God. God can't use me. God can't save me. God doesn't want nothing to do with me. Because not only does Rahab show this faith and and is saved, but she then has a baby boy named Boaz. And if you guys remember the story, the line goes down to where a little baby boy named Jesus is born 1,500 years later. So a prostitute who's destined to die in her sin goes from that to, I'm not only saved and part of the family of God and adopted into the Israelite family, but through my line is going to be the savior of the world. Tell you what, that's a change in direction. Nobody got, no, you don't, you can't one up her. You can't say, I've done too much, you can't use me. Thank God she continued on though. When all her people are marked for death, and God's grace says, I'm going to, you had faith, I'm going to pluck you out, and I'm going to save you. God does the same thing to us today. You see everybody, every one of us has the same opportunity for redemption. I'm sure that Jericho had some good people. I'm sure they had wise leaders. I'm sure they had great guys of war. Men said that they were men of valor in there. Like they were warriors in there, mighty men. They had good people that if from, like just from the outside, we'd say, God, if you're gonna save some, like you could save some of these dudes and, and bring them into the army. Like you could, you could build things up. They had all kinds of wise people in Jericho. He says, no, I'm taking the prostitute. Earthly standards, I'd take a whole bunch of these other boys. My standards, which is I'll take anyone who submits to me, who trusts me, I'll take the prostitute. I guess Jesus. That's why it's hard for wealthy and rich people to enter the kingdom. It's because they know what they look like on earth and they assume God views them the same as everyone else and those on earth who know they're not viewed well in light of those in their community, but I'm going to trust God views me differently than what I look like to those around me. God says, yeah, I'll take them any day of the week. Any day of the week. And the formula, as we close out, is simple. She saw God for who he is. She saw his power. She saw his nature. And she was humbled, and she was drawn, and she repented, and she believed. And it led to action. You and I, we get so caught up. Do I have a lot of faith? Do I have a little bit of faith? Do I have as much faith today as I did back then? Am I backtracking? What does it look like for me to walk in faith? Get so caught up, you'll talk yourself out of walking by faith all the time the beauty of the cross is, again, I've said this many times, and I'll say it again, is we all, no matter what's going on in your world, tonight, right now, have the same opportunity to trust him more than ourselves. Same opportunity to say, you know what? I know the world says go this way, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose you, God. You know what? I feel like junk. I feel like guilt and shame and all kinds of stuff, and I feel horrible inside, but I'm going to trust the gospel of Jesus And his perfection, even in the light of my imperfection, I'm going to trust his sacrifice, even though I feel like I'm making myself take the pain of my mistakes. I'm going to trust his sacrifice. I'm going to walk in victory, not because I feel victorious today, but because I know he is victorious, and he's the one I follow, not myself or my feelings today. We all got that opportunity every day. You don't have to overthink the faith. You just got to believe and you got to walk. What are you heaping on your own shoulders tonight? What plans do the enemy have for you that you're falling into that you knew you shouldn't? How many of y'all, you know we're here because of Jesus, and yet it's that time of year and you find yourself stressed and ticked because there's still presents to buy? Because you spent too much? Because there's Christmas parties to go to? Because you got a whole lot of Christmas, but not very much Jesus? How many of you are worried about friends and family who aren't saved even though you can't save anybody and your job is just to pray to love and to reach out but you're taking more of the burden than you ever should have. What's your stress of choice? What did you heap what did you let the enemy trick you into today that's stealing your joy? Because the responsibility we have in this room tonight is to recognize those lies and to believe the truth and to walk in that. There's freedom in that. There's freedom in that. Let's pray.